Good evening, dummies. Episode 129, Thursday, April 1st. I'm going to warn you, this is April Fool's Day. I'm not going to do that crap tonight. I hate April Fool's. Every year, I see some jerk-off post that Serenity and Firefly and Joss Whedon are coming back to TV, and my hopes raise. And then I find out it's April Fool's. Or someone does a stupid Rick Astley Rickroll joke. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to participate. For those who are waiting and going, oh, Matt's going to do something. I'm not. You can comb through the entire episode, and I will not make an April Fool's joke. I wasn't kidding. I am not a fan of this holiday. My birthday falls right around this time. I know I'm not going to tell you how old I am or what day it is. And there's always some sort of joke assigned with my birthday. My parents did it when I was growing up. I just don't like the day. I am a bah humbugger when it comes to April Fool's Day. So we're not going to do it today. So if you're here to celebrate April Fool's, my dummies aren't fools. You're dummies. You're not fools. There's no foolies here. There are some dum-dums, but no foolies. So we're going to move on. What are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about that auspicious holiday, April Fool's Day today. We'll talk a little bit about it. I'll tell you what it's all about and why we do it, and where the entomology of this crazy-ass day comes from. Next, we're going to talk about opening day. Baseball is here. Peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Springtime. Baseball. Leather gloves. Take me out to the ball game. The thin chalk lines down first and third. It's here. I love baseball, but not for a mother month or so until hockey's over. But go Astros. I know, I know, trash cans, whatever. We're also going to talk about the thin blue line and George Floyd. We don't have a lot of time tonight. We are going to cover a big one. The last segment is going to be the longest, which has to do with the Olympics making some comments of what they're going to do to people who take a knee or raise a fist in protest at the Olympics. And I'm going to tell you why one is okay and one is not, at least based upon my perspective. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What do news channels love about April Fool's Day? Well, because it's socially acceptable to do what they already do every day of the year. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. It's pretty exciting. Last night's episode seemed to do pretty well. A lot of people found it funny. I had a good time, and I hope you did as well. For episode 128, Instagram followers, I'm sorry. You can't change the cover image, and it says 129. There will be two 129s. I apologize. Please, this is officially episode 129, and last night is 128. I apologize for my screw-up. Who am I? What do I do? All that stuff. My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me, and I started this little shindig when I just realized I was losing a lot of friends, and so were my friends, because we were unfriending people during the contentious 2020 election. COVID seemed to exemplify that. We've been defriending people for years and shutting people down, so our vacuum sounds and resonates with our beliefs, but I disagree with that. I think we should have discourse, and I think we should argue, and we'll do a little bit of that tonight, but before we do that, please... 
visit my website, www.donutfriendly.com. You can like Facebook and you can see all my social platforms. You can check out the website, the podcast, the videos, everything there. And here are all my tags where you can join Instagram, follow me on YouTube. If you would do that, I'd appreciate it. And right here, you'll see a lower right-hand corner envelope. It's red on YouTube that allows you to subscribe to my channel. And if you would please follow me on Instagram, Facebook, all of that other stuff, I would greatly appreciate it. And let's get started. By the way, we may agree, we may disagree. You may get offended, you may not get offended, but either way, all I ask is that you don't unfriend me. This show is about that. We can have discourse and you can challenge my thought process, or you can tell me why you agree down below with the comments. It's always fun, dum-dums and dummies alike. Let's get started. People around the world, and especially in North America and Europe, celebrate April 1st by playing practical jokes. But how did these customs evolve? And why on the first day of April? It started with Constantine, a Roman emperor in the 4th century. The rulers of that period entertained themselves and their guests with fools or court jesters, proficient in music, storytelling, acrobatics, or other skills, essentially medieval bards. One day, a comedian joked that he would make a better king than Constantine. The emperor called his bluff and crowned the entertainer king for a day. The first thing the jester did was institute mandatory merrymaking. Each year afterward, on the anniversary of the jester's kingship, the inhabitants of Rome remembered to have a little bit of fun with each other through jokes and pranks. In 1983, the AP printed this story. To research the origins of the day, they interviewed a Boston University professor with a keen sense of humor. They didn't realize that the tale was pure nonsense. The history professor invented the story to fool them. The truth is, nobody knows for certainty when and where April Fool's Day originated. I'm sure Joe Biden will remember he was around then, just a young tyke, probably 26. Let's take a moment to examine some of the facts we do know about April Fool's Day. Spring folly. Something about springtime inspires lighthearted fun. Cultures around the world have festivals that appear to center on silliness. The ancient Romans held the Hilaria, festivals of their god of vegetation, as part of a celebration called Holi. Hindus douse each other with colored powder. Jewish children dress in costumes, compete in beauty contests, and march in parades during their commemoration of Purim. Perhaps April Fool's Day arose from an ancient spring festival or as an excuse to have a good time. Different strokes for different folks. Different folks. I guess I should do that the right way. Different strokes for different folks rule the world. Anybody remember that TV show? No, whatever. What you talking about, Willis? Not everyone observes April Fool's Day in the same way. In the Western world, many pranks focus on tricking someone into believing something extraordinary. In 1998, Burger King advertised a new menu item in the USA Today. The full-page ad introduced the left-handed Whopper. Burger King claimed that they designed the new sandwich by rotating the ingredients of the regular Whopper 180 degrees to accommodate lefties. The prank duped thousands of left- and right-handers who began ordering the sandwich, corresponding to their dominant hand. Other jokes are designed to cause mild trouble for the victim. For instance, Reader's Digest published a list of seven practical jokes to play on co-workers who are lax about logging out of their Facebook accounts. 
The article included changing the colleague's display language to one that doesn't use the Roman alphabet. Example, Japanese or Arabic. And accepting friend requests from strangers. Tricks like these provide a laugh as well as a life lesson. Touch my Facebook account, I will shoot you. It's not funny. It's horrible. This is why I hate April Fools. Don't screw around with my social media account. France is particularly unique in the way they mark April 1st. In French, the day is called Poison de Avril or April Fish. And if that's how it's pronounced, I got lucky. Children spend the day trying to sneak a picture of a fish onto the back of their schoolmates. If their friends find it, they yell Poison de Avril in place of April Fool, cry of people in the English-speaking world. Another common ploy is to send someone on a fool's errand. In other words, you ask him to search for an item that doesn't exist or otherwise waste time trying to complete a useless task. We did this all the time in the military. We would send people down to the basement of the ship, and we would make sure everyone was in on it. Another one is when we worked at Applebee's, and I was a general manager for Applebee's in Colorado. One of the fun ones is we would send them down to the cellar to get more toilet paper, specifically on their first or second night after working at double when they're exhausted. Every waiter was in on it, including the other managers. And that person would come by and say, I'm sorry, I'm trying, and they have a key. I'm trying to find the door to the cellar so I can find more toilet paper. As the waiters and waitresses, bartenders and managers and cooks would simply say, well, it's by the, uh, the cold storage on the right-hand side. And then that person would go and look at the cold storage and they would say, I can't find it. They would go to a cook and they go, no, 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 no. It's over by the trash can and behind the building. And we would continue this all night until finally they caught on. It was just good fun. And see, that was a good time, but it wasn't April Fool's. It was every day of the week. April Fool's versus April Fool's. What does that mean? If you write the name on occasion incorrectly with the apostrophe in the wrong place, you might receive your fair share of ribbing. Do yourself a favor and mind your apostrophe. The official name of this holiday is April Fool's. S apostrophe day. Fool's is plural, so the apostrophe for possession appears after the last S. However, according to a search on Google, Gramviewer, the singular variant, is actually the most popular one. Some dictionaries acknowledge the variant, April Fool apostrophe S day. Nobody's fool. April Fool's Day, S apostrophe, is not an official public holiday in any country. Its popularity has grown since the 19th century, especially in the Western Hemisphere, but no one seems to want to grant it formal recognition. Good. With so many countries participating, it seems that setting a day aside for a few jokes and hoaxes is a worldwide trend, whether it's attaching paper fish to someone's back or sending messengers on fool's errands. Every culture seems to have a different way of celebrating the event. Why is April 1st called April Fool's Day? No one knows for sure, which means the door is wide open for you to make up a ridiculous origin story to tell your friends and family. April Fool's Day, full of disappointment. I stay off Facebook. In fact, I haven't even went on Facebook once today because I know my hopes will be crushed. One year, the Colorado Avalanche did it, and they announced a trade of three players that would have just absolutely guaranteed the cup for years to come for the apps. And then it was a complete fallacy. I think it was Yaramir Yager, Darian Kasparitis, and, 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 and maybe Dominic Hasek as goaltending and because Wah was on the falter. And it was so exciting, but alas, a lie. I've been jaded. I've been hurt. I've been scorned. 
This day cannot end fast enough. Opening day. Opening day is a great day. Baseball is back, and it may not be back in its greatest form when it had honor and integrity and no steroids and basically 12-year-olds who said they were 12, but they're actually 21 years old pitching on the Little League team. But alas, it is still a great sport, and the controversy that has followed it has honestly gone by the wayside. It's doing fairly well. Drugs are out of the sport, pretty much. And it's a good product. They're pitching faster than ever before. They're hitting the long ball better than they have ever before. It's a faster game. It is a more precise game. And honestly, dare I say, it's still fun to watch or be there. I am excited for opening day once again, once hockey ends. But here are some interesting things that have happened on opening day over the history. And I figured I would tell you about it. In 1907, the New York Giants faced off against the Phillies at New York City's Polo Grounds after a heavy snowstorm. When the Giants fell behind, disgruntled fans began flinging snowballs onto the field, forcing the umpire to call a forfeit in the Phillies' favor. This also another unbeknownst fact, that is the last time the Phillies actually won a game. Who threw the first pitch? On the first day of the 1910 season, William Howard Taft became the first president to throw the ceremonial first pitch. Since then, every president besides Jimmy Carter and Donald Trump has thrown at least one ceremonial first ball for opening day, the All-Star Game or the World Series while in office. Opening day riot in New York, Brooklyn's Washington Park was the scene of an opening day riot on April 11, 1912, with the Brooklyn Dodgers down 18-3 to their rival, the New York Giants. Fans stormed the field and delayed the game, which was eventually called on the account of darkness in the sixth inning, and not Black Lives Matter. Bob Feller's opening day no-hitter. There's only been one no-hitter. In opening day history, Cleveland pitcher Bob Feller, then just 21 years old, threw it against the Chicago White Sox. Go figure. They haven't hit the ball since. At Kaminsky Park on April 16, 1940. Wet paint catches fans red-handed. Boston Braves fans sat down to an unpleasant surprise. On opening day in 1946, the outfield stands had recently received a fresh coat of red paint, but cold, damp weather had prevented it from drying. Is there anything other than that in Boston? Hundreds of angry, paint-stained spectators marched to the Braves. Oh, was it in Atlanta? Same thing. (laughs) Offices. The teams agreed to pay their cleaning bills and made a public apology in a newspaper ad. Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier. Jackie Robinson's broke the color barrier, God rest his soul, on opening day in 1947, becoming the first African-American to play for a major league team. The 28-year-old made his debut at Ebbets Field, playing first base for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Harry Truman shows off his switch pitching. Harry Truman was the only president to throw out left-handed and right-handed first pitches on opening day. He showcased his ambidextrous talents on April 18, 1915. Hank Aaron ties Babe Ruth. Hank Aaron of the Atlanta Braves hit his 714th home run on opening day in 1974, tying Babe Ruth for most career homers. He beat Ruth's record later that week and reached 755 by the end of his career. And it only took Barry Bonds with a bunch of steroids and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa to replicate such feat. Asterisk. Aaron's record was not eclipsed until Barry Bonds hit his 756 home run in 2007 in four games. 
I will give you one thing. Barry Bonds could drive that ball further than anyone I've ever seen. The fact that he, I think there was probably like 26 people who hit it out to the cove throughout the existence of San Francisco Giants baseball during his era. I think he did it like 97 times. If that doesn't say he was juiced, nothing else will. But it was an amazing thing to see these guys hit as far as they did. On opening day in 1974, several naked fans rushed onto the field at Chicago's Comiskey Park, disrupting the game and inciting violence in the stands. Who has the most opening day home runs? Hall of Famer Frank Robinson and Ken Griffey Jr. share the record for most career home runs on the first day of the season with eight opening day homers each. Who has started the most opening days? Hall of Famer Tom Seaver has started the most opening day games in history. 11 for the Mets and 3 for the Reds and 2 for the White Sox. Opening day most assuredly is fun. Folks, we need our sports. They have been gone too long. And yes, we had them last year, but it's not quite the same. We are getting fans back in the stand at an abysmal 20% occupancy, but it's still better than these stupid cardboard cutouts. At least the hoops and the hollers won't be on a track. It's just different with people in the stands. The players perform better. The Colorado Avalanche just lambasted the Phoenix Coyotes, Arizona Coyotes, whatever the hell they're called. Who cares? They don't even have a team. Nine to three last night. Nine to three to shellack them. And it was the first time we've had fans in attendance at Colorado. It just changes the sport. It adds an energy and it's electric. So here's to the fans. Here's to opening day. And now let's get to something that is going to carry some weight. I am an Olympic buff, and so is my wife. We love the Olympics. I've been to the Olympics once, I believe in 1980 or 1984. I think it was 1980. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It was a rowing event in Ojai, California. I'm surprised I didn't hang myself from one of the trees, but it was boring for sure. But it was something that I can hold my hang my hat on. It was exciting. I've watched every one of them, winter and summer, and my wife religiously stay up every night and watch the Olympics. We used to do the same thing for football. Then a little thing called the knee happened. And listen, it's not the fact that I have a problem with protest. I'm going to talk about two forms of protest. One I am fine with, one I am not. The fact is the narrative is incorrect about kneeling because of police brutality. We'll talk about it tonight. The U.S. Olympic Committee will allow protests of the national anthem when the nation's top athletes travel to Japan to represent their country. You know, I don't remember this, but I've read up enough about it. It's Tommy Smith and John Carlos, who stood for 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, who put up their fist in protest because of racism. I support that 100%, 120%, if that's possible, which it's not. In 1968, it was a very different time. Racism was rampant. There was an absolute polar opposite between the way whites and blacks were treated, and we were a racist country. And it was openly racist, with systemic racism running rampant, and policies that kept racism in place all the way down to the city, state, and federal level. That protest still was respectful. A head was put down in acknowledgement, and the fist was raised, and it did show the sign of black power. It didn't say only black power. It was simply to create recognition that blacks were treated different. 
It was a peaceful protest on a national stage, which created conversation, including Jackie Robinson, who we mentioned earlier, coming on the field as a black player. The death threats standing up to that in an all white league must have been incredibly difficult, including these two men, John and Tommy, standing up with the fist raised to stand up against racism. Things have happened a lot since then, whether it be Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or the Kennedys or even the own trials and tribulations that we've seen today, where people are actually now looking at George Floyd and BLM for inspiration and Colin Kaepernick. As foolish as that may seem, no, that's not an April Fool's joke. The problem that I have is that the Olympics are a celebration of the United States. China did not go ahead and protest illegal drug use, and Russia did not protest illegal drug use during the Olympics. They bowed out. Germans stayed out and a country stayed out of Germany to not go ahead and and support in any way, shape or form the Holocaust or the war or any of the things that Hitler was precluding to, which would have been a world war. And countries remained passive and stayed out of it. The politics have pretty much stayed out of the sport. Most of the time, and that's a good thing. It is the time for countries to put their best athletes together to compete on the world stage, and you are there to represent your country. And certainly there's nothing impure about what you're representing at that time. There is no police brutality. There is no taking a knee. There is no drugs. There are no taxes. There are no Donald Trump or Joe Bidens. It is simply you representing and being an ambassador for our country. And what type of ambassador are you when you protest something through disrespect about a lie. If there was truly police brutality and racism running rampant throughout the United States, I would most assuredly agree that something should be done and said, even if it's not the place or time. Because there are a lot of athletes posthumously who have stood up. Bruce Jenner was one of them. I ate Wheaties and saw him every day on the box. One of the best triathletes ever to play the game. And he was an amazing, strong, powerful man who has now transitioned into Caitlyn Jenner. That brought a lot of attention to it. Mary Lou Retton talked about her abuse. The gymnastics women over the last 50, 60 years have talked about the mental abuse of having to be borderline bulimic and sexually abused by coaches. This needs to come out. The U.S. soccer team, who also decided to go ahead and protest, which I do not agree with in any shape or form, but they have done it in the past during extreme circumstances. So I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but we hear about it every day. We see it every day. And the Olympics allow us to escape, if not for a moment, at least for a few weeks to get away from the reality and the drudge of the everyday monotony and the fear and the negativity. There is a time to use your voice. And there is a time to simply shut up and play the game and win as often as you can. Because this one moment should never be outshone for America. This is your moment, what you've practiced for, what you've played for. And there will be a time to use your voice. But when we're standing up to countries like China and Russia and they are watching us, we're embarrassing ourselves. Initially, back in December, the USOPC seemed to draw the line at divisive demonstrations. 
which is what I said earlier. But instead, in the new guidelines, the committee simply requires that all protests have the goal of advancing racial and social justice or promoting the human dignity of individuals or groups that have historically been underrepresented, minoritized, or marginalized in their respective societal context. So let me get this straight. We can protest, but we can stand next to countries like Iraq and Iran and Saudi Arabia. We can go ahead and celebrate and put gold medals around China's neck after all their human rights violations. How about Russia? We can do that too. The hypocrisy has no ends. And that is the first thing that bothers me is it's hypocritical. We can also sit here and talk about the starvation of these gymnasts and the sexual abuse that happens to all countries and all gymnasts. We can talk about the absolute abuse that these swimmers receive and the training that they have to go through, sometimes 16 hours a day in a pool, as Michael Phelps did. There is something to be said about winning. More importantly, how you win also sends a very strong message. This guidance is specific about what it will allow athletes to do during their protests. Very specific. In fact, only certain things are allowed, just like the NFL, that will allow kneeling. But we can't talk about 9-11. We can't talk about the thin blue line. We can't talk about veterans. But Black Lives Matter is okay. Athletes will be allowed to raise their fists or kneel during the national anthem, and athletes will be allowed to wear hats or face masks with specific political phrases like Black Lives Matter or words like equality or justice. Athletes are prevented from wearing any recognized hate symbol and cannot protest by impeding the field of play or by causing trouble for other athletes during competition. What is the difference between promoting Black Lives Matter or any other social justice group and not wearing Coca-Cola on your uniform? Why do we not allow that? Why do we have certain regulations with dress? Why do we have certain regulations with how you act outside of the Olympic grounds, going around the town? Why do we have guidelines on who can actually go? That criminal records, substance abuse, or any type of infractions on U.S. soil disqualifies you from representing your country overseas how is this not corporate branding which is actually the difference between a professional player and an amateur there is a very thin line that we're crossing we're now going into censorship where only certain things can be discussed why can we say blm why can't we say make america great again Do you see the delineation between the two? Do you see the comparison contrast? Do you see the the hypocrisy from the AOC and the IOC and the OIC? I think it's one of those two. While many on the political left and in the mainstream media have been supportive of athletes protesting the national anthem, the issue remains a divisive one for most Americans tuning in for a break from politics to watch their favorite teams only to see political messaging and national anthem protests has actually caused many to tune out instead. Look at the NBA ratings. 
They've especially suffered since the league changed its rules to allow for national anthem protesting. In fact, hockey is about ready to pass NBA again, thank God. Realizing the divisive nature of allowing such protests, the Olympic Committee, the OIC, that's what it is, warned athletes that they will not be held responsible for any losses to endorsements or income if athletes do choose to protest. The USOPC does seem to acknowledge that racial and social justice demonstrations could be costly and warns athletes in its guidelines that it cannot be held responsible if third parties drop sponsorships or refuse to endorse participants who engage in protests, even if the USOPC itself will not punish athletes who violate the Olympic rules. In a letter to athletes, the committee makes clear that it cannot prevent third parties from making statements or taking actions of their own. Wow, at least they're not overreaching on that. And that each participant must make their own personal decision about the risks and benefits that may be involved. Interesting. You want to bet that now that money and endorsements are involved, that nobody kneels? I'm, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb here because when it comes to sponsorships and money, These athletes get hardly anything, and they are not reimbursed. It takes millions of dollars to get golds over a lifetime. That's a simple fact. An unbelievable amount of training and time goes into this, and they're not sponsored. They can get it after they get a gold, but when they are younger, parents float the bill. I think it's like $50,000 or something for a gold medal or less than that. It's a ridiculous number. And these sponsorships are how these athletes make money. And they have a very small window until people don't care anymore. The Olympic Games, which were supposed to be held in the summer of 2020, but were, were, uh, were, let me try that again. Supposed to be held in the summer of 2020, but were postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic, are set to begin in Japan in August. The 2020 winter 2022 Winter Olympics are set to go on as scheduled next year, taking place in China. Those games have generated controversy as well due to China's continued mistreatment of its minority Uyghur population, which we've discussed in other shows. I think I'll try to find that and it'll be up here for you. The thing is, is that I don't have a problem, as I said earlier, with protesting. You should not use the national anthem for protest. I disagree with it. 120%. But at least the two gentlemen who raised their fists in the air remained on their feet and showed respect and deference to the flag. Taking a knee is the antithesis of respect. I don't care what one veteran said or what a few veterans say. It's unacceptable. Try to take a knee when you're on a military outpost. Good luck. Let me know how quickly you literally get jumped by every one of your buddies. Try not to salute proper. Try not to stand during Reveille and Retreat and salute the colors. Watch what happens. Veterans, there are some who are on the side of Black Lives Matter, but not necessarily on the side of what they went through with their country. There are some veterans who hated the military and got out. There are some who've been there for a lifelong experience and love the military, but still are dead wrong when it comes to taking a knee. It's unacceptable. But if you want to protest, that is your right under the freedom of speech. I am fine with that. You can express it however you want, and you'll reap the whirlwind with sponsorship dollars or being held accountable by whatever place you work or whatever branch of the military you're in or whatever else in the civilian sector. The problem I have is when they're kneeling for a lie. 
And I am sick and tired of it. And I'm going to talk about it tonight. The thin blue line is not responsible. The police department is not responsible for what they're claiming. There is no epidemic of fatal police shootings against unarmed black Americans. Period. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Ideally, officers would never need to take anyone's life. But the data on police killings doesn't support reducing or abolishing law enforcement. The video of George Floyd's tragic death under the knee of a Minneapolis uh, Minneapolis police officer has led many to ask whether it represents the tip of an iceberg of police brutality. For centuries, United States law enforcement was interwoven with slavery and segregation, and that memory cannot be easily erased. But the evidence does not support the charge that biased police are systematically killing black Americans in fatal shootings. Absolutely not. And although a death of anyone is tragic, watch the eight minutes of George Floyd before you see the knee and look at where he was and then look at the autopsy and how much fentanyl he had in his system that could have killed a small horse. He was probably on the way out anyway. And can we stop pretending this was a model citizen as he held a knife to a pregnant woman's belly and had many, many criminal records longer than just about anyone on the average in the United States? Can we stop pretending that he's the spokesperson? Because if this is the person who you're going to hold up as the savior of the African-American people with the likes of Martin Luther King, Maya Angelou, Nelson Mandela, Denzel Washington, there, there is no comparison. This is not somebody who should be looked up to. This is somebody, although tragic, should not move the conversation forward It should actually change the conversation about how black people are represented in the United States. And the stereotypical person that George Floyd was actually fuels the fires of stereotypes. Because unfortunately, a lot of people are ignorant and think that's the way all African-Americans are when it's a small microcosm of the population. Much of modern policing is driven by crime data and community demands for help. The African-American community tends to be policed more heavily because that is where people are disproportionately hurt by violent crime. It's just a fact. In New York City in 2018, 73% of shooting victims were black, though black residents compromise only 24% of the city's population. Nationally, African-Americans between the ages of 10 and 34 die from homicide at 13 times the rate of white Americans, according to researchers from the Center's for Disease Control and Prevention, and the Justice Department. Community request also determines police deployment, and the most urgent requests often come from law-abiding residents of high-crime neighborhoods. An elderly resident in the Mount Hope neighborhood of the Bronx once described to me, or is described to a reporter where I found this article, her fear of entering her building lobby since it was so often occupied by trespassing youth hanging out and selling drugs. The only time she felt safe was when law enforcement was around. As long as she saw the police, everything is okay. You can come down and get your mail and talk to decent people. The truth is improve. Don't abolish the police. This sentiment is echoed in dozens of police community meetings every single day. 
Though they also want improved quality of policing, the percentage of black respondents in the 2015 Gallup poll who wanted more police in their community was more than twice as high as the percentage of white respondents who said the same. And this was during the most vitriolic time of the last year of Obama's presidency when the police and black activists were literally knuckle to knuckle. Activists who seek to disband police departments will have to explain to these law-abiding residents that they will, in essence, just have to fend for themselves. Such self-defense may be understandable if the police were engaging in an epidemic of shooting unarmed black men and women, as we now hear daily, but there is no such epidemic at all. It is a lie. For the last five years, the police have fatally shot about 1,000 civilians annually, the vast majority of whom were armed or otherwise dangerous. Black people account for about 23% of those shot and killed by police. They are are about 13% of the U.S. population. As of the June 22nd update, the Washington Post database of fatal police shootings showed 14 unarmed black victims and 25 unarmed white victims in 2019. The database does not include those killed by other means like George Floyd. The number of, but remember, this isn't what they say. They say it's police shooting and gunning down unarmed black teens. The number of unarmed black shooting victims is down 63% from 2015. When the database began, there are about 7,300 black homicide victims a year. The 14 unarmed victims in fatal police shootings would compromise only 0.2% of that total. Ideally, officers would never take anyone's life in the course of their duties, but given the number of arrests they make each year, around 10 million the number of deadly weapon attacks on officers, an average of 27 per day, in just two-thirds of the nation's police departments, according to a 2014 analysis, it is not clear that these 1,000 civilian shooting deaths suggest that law enforcement is out of control. Nevertheless, we can do better. Cops are desperate for more hands-on tactical training, de-escalation practice, and techniques to control stress. But we don't necessarily pay them a lot, do we? And there's not a lot of incentive to learn more when the incentive of pay does not increase. Federal support should focus on such practical training to ensure that officers are prepared for the difficult encounters they face daily. A fully functioning police force reducing police resources will ultimately result in the poorer service to the law-abiding residents of high crimes area. Officers, Officers without backup will be more stressed and at higher risk of poor judgment. And without backup, more likely to draw a sidearm or taser or mace or any other debilitating device. Response times will increase. Cash-starve agencies will train less, not more, while lower pay scales will result in less qualified recruits. A reduced police presence in minority neighborhoods will claim more black lives. When officers back off of proactive policing under accusations of racism, violence shoots up. That was the case in cities recently examined by Harvard economists after investigations opened up into a media-grabbing instance of police use of deadly force in Baltimore, Chicago, Cincinnati, Ferguson, Missouri, and Riverside, California. There were almost 900 excess homicides and almost 34,000 excess felonies their study found. Cops pulled back from discretionary activity, questioning a suspicious person on a known drug corner, for example, and simply drove on by. Such stops are voluntary. Cops are not mandated to make them. 
and they're not incentivized to continue to do that when they will be held liable for things like racism and prejudice simply for doing their job. In Chicago, the Harvard Economist found the number of police-civilian interactions decreased by almost 90% in the month after the investigation into deadly force was announced. In Riverside, interactions decreased 54%. In St. Louis, self-initiated police activities declined by 46%. Police stopped policing. By contrast, in cities where incidents of police use of deadly force were under investigation but did not go viral or grab national attention, homicides and total crime went down. Police officers were not afraid to continue policing. This year, on Sunday, May 31st, Chicago had its deadliest day in 60 years over the course of that weekend. This was last year. 25 people were killed and another 85 shot. The reason an overmatched police force was overwhelmed by the rampant looting and upheavals and had little deterrent presence on the ground. There's suddenly this vacuum that opens up, said Max Kupestein, the senior research director at a local crime lab, and you see an absurd amount of carnage. Bad cops of all races must be removed. I completely agree with this in everything in my soul. But the overwhelming majority of officers are in their jobs because of people like that Mount Hope resident who looks out her window hoping to see the police nearby. It is these vulnerable residents who will be most hurt if the defund the police activists have their way. We're seeing a complete turnaround with this defund activist push where places like Minnesota, Los Angeles, Chicago, are all backpedaling and saying, we need to now hire more police, including Oregon. When will they ever learn? We are a nation of laws, and without these laws, people will run amok and do what humans do, inherently good and bad things. The police have a very difficult job. I would question every single person who's about to make a comment on this video, which most of you will go ahead and make it when you see the title and never even watch the video. Have you been on a ride-along? Have you volunteered? Have you served? If you haven't, then you have absolutely no earthly idea what you're talking about. Go through a CQB or a defense tactic training course where you have to make split-second decisions to find out if someone is friendly or foe and decide to either draw and fire or not. Your ideas, your disillusioned thought process will change forever. But until you've actually had to face the decision of walking up to a car and not knowing what's going to happen to you, you might change your tune. The best course of action with the police is not to take a knee. It's not to push back. It's not to create GoPro videos on your dash cam and sway outside the lines on a traffic stop and then instigate in conversation and start proclaiming the Constitution like you're a doghouse lawyer to try to get cops to say something stupid. It's not to carry a gun. It's not to leave your window open this much. Most of those officers want to write you a ticket because you broke the law or send you on your merry way. What they don't need is your lip. What they don't need is your attitude. Because once that respect stops, they are absolutely inclined to do something about it. Because there's one reason. They are doing a disservice and they are empowering you to do it to the next police officer, which could put lives in danger. I hate to say it, but people need to be taught a lesson. Whether it's a Karen who is whiter than the driven snow or black, brown, green, yellow person. 
Officers will hold you accountable for your disrespect so you will not put the next officer in jeopardy and it's their job to stop it. It is a crime to disobey a lawful order. So how about we teach kids to respect an officer, not to fear an officer, to thank them for their service and understand that one or two bad cops do not mean that everyone on the force is bad. Just like a couple of bad black people, white people, brown people do not make all of those people bad either. Racism and prejudice go two ways. It's time to look inward instead of looking outward. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Tomorrow is episode 130. It's Red Friday. Please wear red for everyone deployed. I hope you have a great night watching baseball. It should be fun. It's going to be a good season. Dodgers look pretty powerful. But folks, thank you so much. Again, I will leave as I always do. The Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. 22 veterans commit suicide a day. It is way too many. Please reach out to a vet. Give them a helping hand. Whatever you can do. Traumatic brain injury and PTS are serious. If you can't reach out to that vet, they won't talk to you. Call me. I will help. Send me a direct message. I will get on the phone with you. Or you can go to my website at don'tunfriendme.com and be connected when you click on the VCL link directly to a VCL operator. If you are not a military veteran, you can still call that number and get all the help you need. Please do so. Folks, thank you for joining me. Thank you for stopping by tonight. Please like, share, subscribe, follow. Share this episode. Give it a like. Everything helps. I greatly appreciate it, and I will see you tomorrow for episode 130. Have a good night.